Good evening, listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. As usual, your regular hosts are myself, at Nigeria's Best on Twitter, joined by the other host, at Phoenix Agenda on Twitter as well. Today we have a special guest. His handle on Twitter is at Bury Abbey, which is B-U-R-Y-A-B-B-Y. A bit about his background. He's a student of politics and international relations. So we're hoping to gain insight uh, into the issues by talking to him because uh, we, we expect or assume that uh, he'll have in-depth knowledge. So uh, firstly, uh, today the issue we're going to look at is an ongoing feud that seems to have now blown out into the open between the Minister for Communications and Technology and the Director General of the Nigeria Diaspora Organization. That is Isa Pantami versus Abike Dabiri. So over to you, Phoenix. What on earth is going on? Hi, everyone. and. Uh... Hi, Nigeria's best, and uh, thank you for joining us, Biri Abi. I, <clears throat> I think it's it's been um, how would I put it? It's been very good entertainment for those who like that kind of fair. Uh, I mean, seeing two adults go at each other back and forth. I mean, it's, it's actually quite interesting that um, they know how to use Twitter that well to, to engage each other. I mean, these are two people that. Uh, in, uh, should be discussing in a council of state meeting, but they've decided that uh, uh, they will air their dirty linen in, in public. Um, to me, again, it speaks to the malaise of, of, of the current government and, and the way everyone is just, I mean, when there's a vacuum, and I think we talked about this last week, about there being yes. a sort of like a vacuum um, in leadership, and in that vacuum, everybody um, starts to flex their own muscle and, and tries to claim territory. Um, from my little understanding of the case, because some of these things I just, I just jump and pass, my little understanding is the NCC uh, gave NIDCOM um, offices to use, um, and then Pantami sort of like overruled that and asked them uh, to leave. Um, something I've picked up is, I think from my because conversation was that they were giving one week or two days later, the man sent uh, armed, armed uh, uh, yep. policemen or something to go kick them out. Firstly, I mean, two government agencies behaving like that is beyond the pale. For them to then not be able to resolve this among themselves, I mean, these are two people at, at the highest leadership cadre of the country. For them not to be able to resolve it amongst themselves and to then make it a, 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 a subject that they are debating on Twitter is just, I mean, it, it, it's, it's beyond anything that one can even imagine. I mean, you, you, you wonder what depth these people can continue to plumb and they just continue to surprise you every time. And Buari sits there and thinks he actually has a government and he has people in place that are doing what they need to do. It's, it's, it's no. just astonishing. Um, I, I agree. Can I say it's also a fundamental issue with NIDCOM and Abike Dabiri because what is NIDCOM's exact role? Because sometimes it seems to act like a foreign ministry. Sometimes it acts like a diaspora agency. What is the point of NIDCOM and what does it do? Are its duties clearly defined? 
and is and even in the building for my my own concern is are these just random federal government offices or is it under the ministry of communications the problem with NINCOM fundamentally is i don't think its duties are clearly defined and as a result all these things happen and becomes like a tool for the leadership of it of the organization to use it as a way of gaining gaining influence in like petty factional fights well You've already i think i can i can answer that uh, question because from my understanding the building belongs to the ncc the nigerian communications commission which i presume is under the ministry of communications technology yeah. so i suppose the first question we should be asking is when this agency was created did nobody operating from and secondly Hello, can, can you guys still hear me? We can, we can hear you. I can hear you. Next question is, when it became agency, did nobody think about office space? And secondly, how, how does one side get a police to fight the other? I, I mean, I mean, is, I did no point did the Inspector General contact Abike and say, uh, sorry, they've sent police. Somebody, somebody wants us to use police to chase you out, but you guys are agencies of the government, so perhaps there should be a peaceful way to resolve the issue. So I don't understand why there was no planning, uh, planning for these things. But I suppose the third question as well, for you, Amasa, I was going to ask is, she then made reference to the fact that Patami is a well-known misogynist uh, what, what do you think about that well oh, i think sorry, I think i think her idea was to in this battle i don't know enough about it but she's like it's a kind of dog whistle to get people on her side because he thinks like oh if you mentioned he's an islamic radical because he's a cleric for as far as i know an islamic cleric people will rally to her side as a kind of a way of distracting attention from the fight because Dr. Isa Patami, I've known he's made pronouncements on bird control, against bird control, and all these kind of modern kind of things in some ways, in that kind of way. So he's a, he's an, he's a conservative northerner. So he's trying, he's trying to basically do a tribal dog whistle with that kind of argument from what I can see. Because it does not have anything to do with the issue. Whether, whether she's a woman, but I don't think it has that much, any, that much of a, it's not as much of a big deal as it as it would seem in this matter, because I think this is a clear case of a factional fight and there's no one to meditate it at the top. That's a fundamental I, issue. I suppose, Phoenix, the question then is, if she's always known that he was a misogynist, why is it that when we are criticizing Buhari's government for behavior like this, promoting extremism, it's the same Abiker Dabiri and the others who would be attacking us for criticizing the government, but as soon as there's a fight, they then come out publicly and make the same allegations that we have been saying in public that they've been insulting us for. Is, is, is that not a problem? I, 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 you see, I can't, I can't agree more with uh, Buri Abi on this uh, in terms of it being a, a, a dog whistle, um, I mean, being dog whistle tactics on, on Abike's part. I mean, there's a, there's a popular refrain, he must come to the group, he must come with clean hands. Abike is in no place, has no moral... Um, standing to even begin to say that one person is a misogynist or not, given her own antecedents and the kind of things that she spews and talks about. 
her bigotry is well known, I mean, and things that she comes up. So even using that, it immediately raises, raises up a red flag. Now that doesn't absolve Pantami. And I mean, I, I think his own antecedents are very well known. I don't know about misogyny. I know about his uh, religious uh, extremism and all of that. But, you know, it, it, it's for me, it's just, it's just a, it's just a, um, a government of strange bedfellows, and at some point, all of these things will boil out, boil over, and you begin to see them coming at each other. Especially when there is no clear direction and there is no objective to do good for the country, for the people. Because I think if yeah. there is truly an objective to do good by the people and to really move this country forward, you would have people who would be attuned to that. And you won't get to this level of devotery and this this kind of, I mean, among team members, it won't even happen. But there is no, it's not good that has brought them together. It's just coming together to 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 take advantage of power and 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 benefit themselves. And so when those things that um, are dear to them are threatened, then they go at each other, and that's what we're seeing. Like, you know, Onye Nkuzi always says this that this is an alliance of Abacha apologists and June 12, Absolutely. June 12 activists. Yes, this, this is a fundamental issue. This thing cannot last long. It's a kind of really weird contraption. It is united by loss of power and, to put it nicely, an urge to share the, share the wealth among, among themselves. Without this, this contraption can barely last for six months, if we're being honest. And that's even giving being generous. So it's, I think, fundamentally, it is one of these kind of things that shows the problems within the APC alliance. Because these are two ostensibly different groups that have different ideas on different agendas. And they're still in one government, and no one's happy. It's kind of an unhappy marriage. All of them are different. All unhappy marriages are different in their own way. So we cannot... So these things i'm surprised these these kind of things don't actually happen more often because because it's fundamentally a really weird alliance in that kind of way because it's no not, i not i agree i suppose the 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 issue for me is first of all you have a secretary to government second of all you have a chief of staff and thirdly you have a president so these are the people who are supposed to be responsible for coordinating all these issues. So for agencies of government to be fighting on Twitter, when all these people are present, as Phoenix said before, it's evident of the fact that there is no leadership in the country, which once again brings me back to the whole beautification of Abakiari. They said he was such a fine administrator, such an intelligent man, yet all these things were happening under his nose. Gambari has stepped in as well, and the same thing is still happening now. The fight has come public. So the question is, what is Boss Mustafa doing? What is Gambari doing? What is Buhari doing? Because these are supposed to be the people who are supposed to be responsible for these things. So I suppose it's, it's, it's a clear example of leadership not being present. And I suppose it takes us to the next issue involving another government appointee, which is the SA. Oruru uh, saga where she was abducted by an adult when she was only a 14 year old girl raped uh, her doctor Unisa uh, Dahiru was eventually sentenced to prison for about 26 years and a Twitter user appealed to one of 
Buhari Special Advisors, Bakshir Ahmad, asking him to uh, intervene in the conviction. And Bashir said he didn't have the power to overturn the court decision, but he could talk to people to see how they could help. And for me, obviously, it's caused outrage on Twitter, but I suppose the first question to Abiri Abe is, is, is first of all, is, 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 is this not shocking, Abiri Abe? It is, it is shocking in the way that, oh, I know you're capable of this, but I didn't actually think you'd be, do this right in front of me. That's in that kind of way. No one is shocked. Like, there's, let's be honest, in the North, in the north there has a, there's been a bit of a problem with underage marriage, and that's been a thing. And the abduction thing was obviously going to cause a lot to the sentencing, which was surprising because I, when I first heard the story, I thought this would fade away and nothing will happen. And luckily, I'm happy there's justice. But it was not, it was not, it was always going to cause issues in the north that was never that was never a problem the real shocking thing is Bashar Ahmed trying to think play smart and trans try and like do a dog ethnic dog whistle in Hausa so that everyone so that it will pass everyone while reassuring Buhari's base which is his, which I think it's his main his main job his main job is to keep the northern populace and on side with Buhari which was I think he's doing he's basically doing his job but he did his job in the wrong way. So I'm not I'm surprised that they would do it in such a blatant way, but I'm not surprised. The overwhelming ideas, are, the idea of like underage marriage being semi somewhat acceptable in the North is still there. And that's an issue that has to be solved by Northerners because it is a cultural thing and it can't be solved by people with outside outside the culture of the North, which is why I'm very happy. Those are where I meet to things and around me too and all those movements because this is a northern issue no one it's not surprising in that way well i would obviously say it, it is something that uh, we condemn uh, all around because obviously like you've said there's an arrow me too movement which shows that there's another wing of the northern part of nigeria that is trying to push back against these abhorrent uh, practices well the, the the question for uh, Phoenix is, are you saying at that level of government, people are still um, making extremist statements publicly? I think that I think there are a few things to unpack from this. Uh, f- first of all, um, to just be a bit cautious about making it a a blanket northern issue or ethnic issue from, because I, I want to focus more on the fact that this is a public official who is coming out publicly to say, I, I have um, access to those that can subvert justice. So let's even take away the fact that, I mean, uh, underage marriage, that, that's a big issue and, and we should address that um, totally against it. And, and we, should, we should continue to speak against it until the culture changes. But this particular issue is about rule of law and the, and the potential abuse, um, which is something that we've always consistently, or at least I've, I've talked about, and I know we've talked about in Nigeria's guest, about the fact that um, um, being um, subject to rule of law or, 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 or um, how do I say this now, or making sure that the government respected the rule of law has not been something we've seen under the Buhari administration. So you're not surprised that a special assistant therefore finds it um, 
okay to say in public that I would, I, I mean, I, I don't have the power, but I know people who can do this. Who can do what exactly? Overturn a judgment that has been made in the court. Well, <laughs> somebody has I'm, been, somebody has been um, um, convicted and, and therefore uh, a sentence has been done. You are now saying that you would, you, you, I mean, you know people who would, you, you know people who would do it and therefore you would look into it to bring that objective to pass. I said it but very clearly. Where, where I disagree, because what I'm saying is, is that I don't have a problem with what he said, because the reality of the situation is, I don't disagree. I don't have a problem with Bashir saying he's he's going to speak to people. Oh, but I have a problem. With that. I absolutely have a problem with that. Why would the reason why I, I don't have an issue with? with it is there's, there's a process of getting a presidential pardon, for example. So Bashir could easily have been saying that, I know he's been convicted, but I can talk to a attorney general, for example, who can recommend a pardon. So that is, that is doable. So I don't think Bashir saying he can talk to people who have the power is necessarily the problem. I think the bigger problem is the fact that when we're supposed to be taking a tough line on pedophilia, you have a government official saying that, or, ex, or, or making statements that seem to be showing sympathy for pedophilia. For me, that is the issue. No, but let's understand one thing. It's a different thing if you say, um, if you say this has happened, uh, but you would try to find a way to get him mercy. That was not what he was saying unless somebody has translated it differently. What he was clearly saying is, I don't have the power to, to do this, but I have access to people who can do something about it. it so oh, yeah, later be, on, he then came, so later on, later on, he then tried to walk back that statement. Now, if he was going to go and ask for mercy, he would not be walking it back to that extent. So him trying to claim that I was not aware of the case and blah, 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 that he would not be doing that if he was looking at it from a prerogative of mercy perspective. And in any case, that's not even the kind of case that you would take to your principal to pardon, to pardon somebody for pedophilia and for kidnapping. Who, who does that? But in this, case, this is a semi, a semi accepted cultural practice. I'm not saying that semi accepted. So from no, that no, point no. of view, let's, let's, let's understand from a cultural perspective. Yes, we know that from a cultural perspective, underage marriage is sort of like allowed in the North. But the circumstance of this case is not just about underage marriage. Nobody gave the girl to him in, uh, for marriage. He kidnapped somebody from somewhere else and took, took her to Northern Nigeria to go and marry her. So there, there is a totally different case that we're talking about. It's not about just underage marriage. It also has kidnapping in it. Which is which still carries that penalty many exactly. Cases. So he is yeah. is Bashir now going to claim that what he was going to do was go and ask Wari to pardon somebody for kidnapping? Well, I, I suppose my obviously we have to agree to disagree, but my own view is the outrage should not be that he said he could speak to someone because I think my my to be, my, my genuine reading of that statement was that. He, he could see if he could find a way to get him a pardon because he clearly said, I don't have the power to overturn a court judgment, but I can speak to someone. So that's what I thought. That was my reading of what he was saying. My more annoyance was the fact that you're not even embarrassed to be saying 
someone who's been convicted of pedophilia is someone who wants to school. We absolutely agree on that. We yes, absolutely yeah, agree. For me, that even makes the that even makes the issue more egregious. But you see, for now, let me tell you, I, I, I'm I'm talking about, I'm looking at it from an issue of state because yes, we can say that it's horrible because there's pedophilia involved. But where does it stop? Are we then going to say it's okay if there if it's not pedophilia, if it's something else? Because we've seen this same government bring back a a a, a fugitive into office. So that's we're seeing a pattern of behavior, and that's what I'm calling out. I'm saying that we, we should not be surprised because we're seeing this guy say this kind of thing because that's what the government stands for, and that's what we should be against. Because I don't know. I think we all we all agree then that. Uh... Pedophilia is wrong, and any kind of unlawful interference in, in the in the justice system is wrong. And we also all agree that the issue of pedophilia is is yes, it's not just a northern problem; it's a Nigerian problem. And we're also happy that there are many movements across Nigeria, especially in the north, like the, like you said, the Arewa Me Too movement and other movements that are trying to fight and uh, 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 bring to an end this despicable uh, practice. But I suppose. On to the third issue for today, which is there was, I, I don't know if you or Mas, I don't know if you were at Biri Abbey or Phoenix saw it, but on Twitter there was a video circulated of the governor of Central Bank, Mirfele, uh, telling off uh, senior people in financial services and in business for buying uh, forex from the black market and buying and selling forex from the black market instead of coming to the Central Bank. And the reason why this is interesting is because one of the promises he, he apparently made to the World Bank and IMF was that he would float the currency. So if he was doing that, I, I don't understand why there's still a need to go to the black market. So uh, firstly to you, uh, Abiru Abi, do, do you have any thoughts on whether or not the currency should be floated? And secondly, any reactions to Mirfele's outburst? Well, Obviously, the situation, the current situation of borrowing money profit in Naira is probably is not sustainable in the long run. The Naira will eventually have to fall. The main concern, and this is why people are always very anti defining Naira, is that the government, when forced to do that, does it at the, at the worst possible time, when there's no choice left and the economic effects get are a lot worse, whereas if they've done it like a few years before, the, the blow have been softened. So the Naira is going to, is not whether Naira is, my view is not whether Naira has to float. It will eventually be forced to float. But the issue is the way the government goes about economic management seems to be like, it seems to be designed to, co to make Nigerians suffer. Like it's kind of like a deliberate policy to make Nigerians suffer. Because that's the, that's the only way it makes sense in some, in many cases when you see some of the absurdities that happen. On this case, I think MFLA, is still trying to do like some demand management and trying to play, keep everyone happy because he has to keep his boss happy because the reason why he's been able to stay in his job for the last and win a second term, which hasn't happened in many years was because he was Buhari's yes man. So anything Buhari wanted, he did. So he's trying to keep as many masters as possible happy. So he's trying to keep the IMF happy, Buhari happy and all of this. So it will eventually end, like what they say, end in tears, but, but it's the way this government wants to do. It seems to want to do the, you do everything apart from the best possible thing at the end. So in the long run, the Naira is going to have to float. What Mefelife is doing was trying to manage dollar demand and keep the economy, 
keep the grid from going from falling further but it's it won't work so i'm going to bring in phoenix at this point on this demand management because what you're basically saying or mayfield is basically saying and what you seem to be implying is that while whilst they have to manage access for an exchange but the they have to do that. But the question is, why would any rational businessman who can get more for his uh, Naira if he goes to the black market, why would I have one pound and go to the central bank when I can get 500, 530 Naira in the black market as opposed to uh, 470 at the central bank? So over to you, uh, Phoenix. This demand management business, does, does it make any sense? It doesn't make any sense, but uh, he's been doing it for, for what now? Um, for About five years. Four year, exactly, four years, and seems to have been able to get away with it to the detriment of the economy, obviously. Um, and not only the economy, but also to the detriment of the states, because you have been shortchanging the states by um, changing their dollar to Naira, or shortchanging the entire government by changing their dollar to Naira at an obviously absurd FX rate. But, but Virami is correct. I mean, he inevitably has to float. Um, but what he's trying to do is to make sure that he floats on, on his own terms. He floats at a rate that sort of like works for him and his master where he doesn't, where he doesn't fall too far uh, from where it is today. Um, and he's also panicking because he's seeing, um, I mean, because they have, they have forwards, right? That tell you, at what rate they would have to settle at some point in the future. And those forwards were, were already going beyond 500 Naira, which is telling you where the Naira is going to be potentially in three, six, nine months time. So he, he can yeah. see what the market is doing. And what he's now trying to do is to use his power as CDN governor to control people, to corral people, that if they are not going to the black market, if they're not driving up the demand there, the rate would not do the same thing that happened in 2016, where the rate on the, on the black market that diverged so significantly that forced their hand um, to devalue. But it's not going to work, especially in the middle of this crisis, especially with what oil prices are doing and, and the fact that um, your, your, your primary source of, of FX is, is dwindling. Um, he's, we know that he's going to fight as much as he can but this time around, it's, it's just not going to work. And it's just a question of time. Um, and, and, and at that time, when, he, when his hand is then forced, you can imagine that the rate will probably be out of hand. But, you, you but what, what about his promise? What about his promise to the World Bank and IMF that they will float the currency? I don't That's see how... That is inevitable. So he has to keep that promise. But what he's trying to do is to make sure that in having to keep that promise, he doesn't lose. He doesn't. The, 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 he doesn't have to float at a point where the naira just goes to five hundred or six hundred naira. Do you see my point? So that's why he's trying well, to they, do the demand management and keep it within a certain range, so that when they float, it doesn't. It doesn't crash that significantly. But that's not going to be in his control. Well, are there are there businessmen who are actually following his instructions? Because I, I no, can't see why anybody would do that. But they've been following for how long? I mean, they've been following for for four years. The thing is, I mean, up until, up until this year, he, he was able to supply the market. They had a, remember, they, they have multiple exchange rates. So he has the government rate, and then they have um, a, a market where people are able to trade and get access to FX and all of that at a higher rate. It was about 20%, I think, higher than the, the government rate. And that was working 
well because I mean there was effect there was dollars available because oil was selling well at, at a reasonable price and but, so they were able to keep that funding. Sorry, was it working or were people just round tripping? Because I can't think of any businessman that would say I can get one dollar or uh, let's say four hundred naira on the black market. Instead, I'm happy to get it for three sixty. But is it the case people were just going getting cheap dollars from CBN and then floating it back into the market and round tripping? Is that what they were doing? Well, you can say, I, I'm, I'm not sure of business people being able to get it at CBN rates. I mean, there's a lot of speculation that people were using their connections to get it at 306 and sell at 360, what, 365 yeah. or whatever. So they, there was that arbitrage. But I'm talking about at the 365 level, there was no further black market that was higher than that. That was, okay. the, that was the rate. So, I mean, it was, that was what I mean by it was working well, not the disparity between the government rate and that of... Um, and yeah, the in 2016, there were probably like three or four different rates. Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. At that point, so that was where you could make money from that. But whereas now there was one, there were two rates, which made, which was much more manageable. But his main fear is that it will go back to 2016 situation exactly. where there's total chaos, and that would cause that would make the recession, which is coming, much worse. So he's trying to slow it down and create conditions where he can float on his own terms because he still has to fulfill his IMF conditionalities. He will have to do that. He will have to meet those, those uh, I mean, requirements. Otherwise, they will recall, they will recall the, the funding and put them in a, in a, in a tough space. So he just, he's just trying to control the market, but he's going to fail. He's going to fail because the conditions that made it possible for him to even make that work for such a period of time do no longer exist. The, the, the oil market is not in the place that can continue to service you with dollars. The other, in, the other, globally, we're heading towards a recession. So all the people that will provide you with swaps and all those kind of things are also struggling with their own economies. So yeah. there's nowhere to run to. You have to, you have to solve the problem internally. Okay. And at some no, point, no, no. the government's finances will begin to hurt and, and devaluation helps from providing more Naira for the do small dollars that they are getting because then they have Naira exposures that they have to meet salaries and all those things locally. So he's fighting no, a losing battle as far as I'm concerned. No, I, I think I agree with uh, <laughs> you that uh, the flotation is either inevitable or it's going to be very financially costly to keep uh, propping up the Naira as well as there'll be consequences with the international uh, lending agencies because we made uh, promises to them. So a, a final topic. Uh, I just wanted to raise this issue because I know Adbiri Abbey is a politics and international relations uh, specialist. So I was going to ask you about uh, the US elections and Nigeria, because for some weird reason, Nigerians are very, very actively involved in the debates uh, between uh, the Republicans and the Democrats, and in particular, Trump versus uh, Biden. And I'm just going to ask you, get your thoughts, because I've, I've noticed a trend. It, it, the vast majority of people who used to support Good Luck Jonathan in 2015 are the people who are pro-Trump. And the vast majority of the people who were anti-Jonathan in 2015 tend to be sympathetic to Biden. There's a few people who, are, who don't fall into that camp. But the question uh, for uh, Biri Abi is, what is driving this uh, pro Trump support amongst ex-Jonathan supporters? I think it's kind of revenge pretty much in that kind of way because 
there's because of like the support that the Buhari government received from Western powers. So it's partly as well, Trump dislikes the Democrats and Obama. So it's the friend, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, which I think is the main, which is what is pushing it. And also there's a couple of, there's, there've been, there've been incidents apparently of bots based in West Africa being paid by either the Republicans or Russia. There's a New York Times article about it, which might be one of the things influencing discourse on Nigerian Twitter. So it's a combination of those two factors. So you think, you think bots are being, uh, people are being funded by uh, external forces to trigger these debates in Nigeria? I'm not, I'm not sure, but I would not be surprised because bots have been used in every political campaign since, since 2015, at least. So, so it would not be surprising me if bots are operating in every, in every sphere of influence. And political Twitter in Nigeria might be one of them for some strange reason. I do not know about that, but that is, there's a strong chance of that. And there's also that revenge aspect, because if Trump wins, the Democrats who caused Harry to come to power get punished also. So at least we can, you can get the warm glow of satisfaction that Trump is attacking your enemies by extension. So even if he's not doing anything for you, Okay, now I was going to ask, bring in Phoenix at this point, because Omasa made ref I mean, sorry, Biri Abi made reference to bots. And I've seen some arguments that seem to be defying basic common sense, where I'm looking at, let's say I'm looking at a cop that is red, and the other person is saying that, no, 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 that red cop is actually white. Because I've seen some arguments in favor of Trump where I'm thinking, it's either one of us has gone mad, either me or the person arguing in support of him. So, so what, what do you think is going on, uh, Phoenix? I, I think it's, it's, um, it's, 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 it's an obvious that, um, outcome of the Trump era where alt facts become, have become elevated to the sense that people are comfortable in distorting um, facts. I mean, you will see something, you know what it is, but try to represent it as though it is something else. And it has, and, and because the object of, of their support has elevated this to an art form, everybody has simply then run with it and, and believe that they will get away with it. And all they have to simply do is to point at every opposing. So when you point, when you oppose them and you say, based on fact, this is it, they just say that it's fake news which again goes back to, this is how the man himself operates. And that's why you see all these debates that you see, yeah, like, I'm sorry, <laughs> in the past, we would all have agreed that this, this thing is this way. The, other, the, the one thing that amuses me about what you were talking about in the Nigerian context is this idea where I see people berate Buhari and then um, in the same vein, will <laughs> speak well about Trump. And that always, surprises me and amuses me to the extent where they cannot see the parallels uh, between yeah. or the inconsistencies in that. But uh, anyways, it's, it's, it is quite interesting. No, because, for example, this fight between Patami and Dabri, for example, is taking place on Twitter. and We're all insulting them for having this sort of public rufo-rufo, uh, as they would say in, in Yoruba. Exactly. But if this was Trump engaging this same rufo rufo with uh, Jeff Sessions. They will find a way to defend it. Yes, they will say yes. Trump is a tough guy. He's he's he's, he's showing leadership. So it's it's very bizarre. But uh, hopefully, uh, 
I think we'll probably have a session where we where we dig deeper into what on earth is going on between Nigerian uh, political Twitter and Trump. But and our, our we, time is we should we should invite uh, people from both camps and <laughs> just hear them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone's point of view on this matter because it's it's yeah. it does it not it's a bit weird. It's not normal because yeah. you cannot be criticizing one person for doing one thing and praising the other person for doing Absolutely. the same thing. Absolutely. That's so the part I just don't understand. No, I think I would just, if, if I was being objective, my own conclusion would be one of us is insane because I, I, I don't want to be rude and say they are the ones who are insane, but one of us has to be insane because we cannot be looking at the same facts and reaching totally diametrically opposed conclusions. So somebody is insane out of both camps. But I think our, our time is up. So once again, I must thank uh, Phoenix Agenda for working on this project with me. And thank you, Act Bury Abbey, for taking time out to join us on the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you both. And uh, thank you to our listeners. Bye. Bye. Bye.